and it's tasting you're not going to like because nobody else likes it. I think David Lynch's Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me is a masterpiece. Oh, that's I all thought, I hear. I thought this the first time I saw it in 92. I'm on record. I've mm-hmm. thought it for the last 25 years or whatever, however long it's been. And I'm going to tell you, that's a classic example of how the critics get it wrong. In Cannes, it was booed off the screen. Right. I've never seen a movie in the last 30 years, I haven't seen a movie that's been made in America, which so asks us to understand and be in the shoes of a person suffering so profoundly. It's a thing of beauty. And I've never seen it. It's the one David Lynch I haven't seen. And not for reasons I've heard only the best things about it. Have you? Because a lot of people, it was hated. The people that we hang out with, they all love it. It's a masterpiece, that movie. I got to see it. And it was the end of his career in many ways. It's such a masterpiece, that movie. I'm going to go watch it tonight, then. Oh, it's just it's such an anguished movie, and you have to you have to stay with it. Okay. Because what will happen is the first 30, 40 minutes or so, you'll be like, what's the point of this? <laughs> and then slowly but surely, we start to get drawn into Cheryl Lee's world. And it is such an, it has such an understanding of a person dealing with incest. <laughs> it's an incredible film. All right. And exactly for the reasons we're talking about here. That was the director, James Gray, on the Cinephiliacs podcast in 2015, talking about how he'd always love Firewalk with me. And it's funny that the host of that show says, oh, yeah, no, actually, I know a lot of people like it. And the director, you know, James Gray is surprised. And no wonder, because for anyone alive in 1992, and honestly, even a year before that podcast was recorded in 2014, I remember uh, that really up to the point the missing pieces were released, I think the consensus on Firewalk with me was negative. Um, it was trending more positive in the past like 10 years. Like when I first saw the film, I could find plenty of positive reviews, but there was a sense of like, you're fighting against the uh, consensus here. Today, we cover the personal and fan reception to Firewalk with me, the film, and to the missing pieces, actually, the deleted scenes. Uh, from that film, which were released separately in 2014. So when I say personal, I mean my own reaction here. That'll be woven into these fan responses, uh, some of which I solicited myself, some of which I found from long before I had seen Twin Peaks. And we'll start with those, uh, the Usenet quotes that I gathered uh, from not just right after Firewalk and Me came out, but building up to it and then sort of spilling out from it afterwards. So these go from 1991 to 93. For fan commentary on the alt.tv.twinpeaks Usenet board back in the uh, fall of 1991, we're going to pick up pretty much where we left off with the finale episode in late summer as they were anticipating Firewalk With Me uh, as a as a prequel film, but still talking about the TV show. And here we begin where the movie is actually being produced. So first up, we have Craig Horman from September 26th, 1991. He writes... The Twin Peaks movie is being shot in the Seattle area now. I think shooting has been going on for a week or so, and will continue until the first or second week of October. Yesterday, I drove through North Bend, a.k.a. TP, and saw little activity, although there were a few studio trailers from Burbank, and the double R sign was up at the Marti Cafe. Reliable sources indicated that shooting was happening at the Colonial Inn in Fall City, neither a city nor near the falls, of course, so off I went. At the Colonial Inn, a.k.a. the Roadhouse, the Bang Bang Neon sign was up, and a small group of people were setting up lights and reflectors for a night shoot. A 
a group of bikers, hired locally as extras, were standing around fretting about the dust on their bikes that was kicked up from all the machine activity. The generator truck and other utility vehicles all had placards which read, Lynch Frost Productions, Twin Peaks slash Firewalk with Me on their dashboards. Local police agencies were all represented, North Bend, King County, Seattle, and the Washington State Patrol. Around 6, after an early dinner at the Colonial, which closed for the night because they needed to paper the windows, the log lady appeared. She wandered around the set briefly, in character and carrying her log, then disappeared into a trailer which was parked next to Big Ed's gas truck. A few hours passed, with Lynch Frost fans racing around, but seeming to do nothing at all. The bikers took photos of each other and spread eagle positions against the cop cars. Around 8.30, a small group of people materialized from nowhere and rushed from the road to the trailers. David Lynch, jauntily dressed in a blue blazer, chinos, and a cap, a 70s preppy hunting outfit, followed by his minions, swept onto the set. Later, when his cap came off, his trademark Reagan-esque hairdo was unmistakable. More activity. It's amazing how frantic yet controlled a film shoot can be. By this time, a crowd had gathered. Snippets of conversation from hardcore fans reached us in the now chilly night air. Someone had seen David Bowie a few days before. Kyle finished shooting yesterday and left town, said a woman with a disappointed leer. She missed him by minutes, but did get to see his personal chair. Yes, they all have personalized director-style chairs. Lynch has not only a chair, but a frilly stool. I was glad to see everyone was on a first-name basis with the cast and crew. David had almost autographed someone's Twin Peaks t-shirt, but fled when asked to explain a racer head. Bobby has already left town. Someone thought they saw Major Briggs, maybe. Laura's stunt double was seen, deep in the woods, driving a vintage car fast over backcountry roads. A crew member tried to start a small portable generator. The engine sputtered and died once, twice, three times. One of the bikers helpfully pointed out that if it was a Harley, it would have started by now. The bikers started to polish their bikes, just behind a cop car. One of the cops ambled over to them. They want a few dents in your bikes, guys, so I'm going to back my car up into them, he said. One of the bikers grabbed the cop by the scruff of the neck and made to spread eagle him against the squad car. The cop grinned and twisted away, making a pretend grab for his holster. 9.30 p.m. The bikes are lined up in front of the roadhouse. I flee for hot chocolate at the Little Market, Fall City Convenience Mart, open 24 hours for all your shopping needs, said the woman behind the counter, and walk back around the corner to the roadhouse, making eye contact with a woman in hair curlers and a slightly frumpy housecoat. She's talking to the log lady in Lynch beneath a wooden awning at the roadhouse entrance. Yep, she's Laura Palmer. She practices striding up to the roadhouse, pantomimes a conversation with the log lady, who touches her face gently, and then walks up three steps into the building. They disappear for another half hour or so, while the crow shoes the crowd around the set like a gaggle of unwanted Canada geese. Sorry, guys. I need you all to move 30 feet to the left. Oops, now move 50 feet back. To the right, please. 30 feet. We can tell shooting will start soon when Lynch and crew settle into their chairs, surrounded by cast and crew. Laura appears, sans curlers, wearing high-heeled leather boots that reach most of the way up her legs and a short, dark coat. She hops into her car, a Studebaker, and starts the engine. Lynch decides the white Comet should switch places with the black Mustang, so two crew members play parking valets for a few minutes. Then everyone yells, Quiet! Laura starts the car again and backs it up ten feet. Cameras roll. Sound rolls. She drives forward ten feet, cuts the engine and lights, and steps out gracefully. 
She walks the 20 feet to the roadhouse with great aplomb, but the big tan Labrador who's been sitting with us in the crowd decides the moment is perfect to lope across the frame right behind Laura. We all try not to giggle, but fail. Cut, says Lynch. Perfect. We all laugh. A few crew people chase the dog around. They set up the shot again. This time a crew member holds the dog tight, lavishing it with attention. The set quiets, rolling begins, and Laura begins her brief walk to the roadhouse once again. The dog tender, incredibly, releases the dog, and once again he crisscrosses her tracks in exactly the same place. We realize we've been duped, that the damn dog is actually in the cast, and the time he spent with us in the crowd, he was just slumming. 11 p.m. Not prepared for the cold, I abandon the shooting. It will probably continue for another few hours. Next time, I'll find a day shoot. Max Clark wrote on 2-23-92, Incidentally, before I get to my main topic, it should be noted what date it is today, February 23rd. Everybody knows what that means? If not, I'll remind you at the end. Anyway, I haven't read this group in ages, but a few months back I posted my speculation about a follow-up, rather than Firewalk With Me, a prequel to the last episode. Here, more or less, is what I said. It's 2014, and David Lynch happens to be at loose ends, so he decides to follow up on the legendary cult TV show he did two and a half decades ago. Our story opens in contemporary 2014 Twin Peaks. Many of the characters of the old show are still around, albeit older. Many new and strange cast members are also present. Donna, Bobby, Leo, Shelley, James, etc. all have teenage kids now. What about Coop? There are several possibilities. He's been in an asylum for 25 years, having apparently gone mad shortly after the 1989 Miss Twin Peaks pageant. He's continued to serve as an FBI agent, but is sometimes possessed by Bob and commits horrible crimes that he never remembers afterwards. Or he simply disappeared, maybe into the waiting room, one of the lodges, or an extended sojourn to Tibet. Things have apparently settled down in TP, but now some strange forces again stir in the woods. The residents of the Ghostwood subdivision are reporting various bizarre incidents to the new police chief. Let's see, who should it be, James? Or to really go against expectations, as Lynch always does, Bobby? Who sends his deputy, Harry Dale Moran, Lucy and Andy's kid, out to investigate? It seems that people are claiming to have been visited by the long-dead Laura Palmer. Soon Coop arrives on the scene. Someone else can take it from there. The whole point about 25 years refers to what Laura said to Coop in the last episode. And if you didn't already know, February 23, 1989 was the date of Laura's death. Feel free to embellish this scenario. I'd love to see what other people can come up with. Max. That gum you like is going to come back in style. The little man from another place. Max Clark, the traveler. Bob Gray wrote on June 29, 1992. I was on holiday last week, and as I was passing a cinema, I spotted a poster for the TP sequel. A quick check of the timetable. The show started in 10 minutes. So what did I do? Go in and see it, of course. Right from the first notes of music, any long-term Peaks addict will find themselves back in familiar territory, finding out about the first murder. Despite this, it comes as quite a shock when after about an hour and a half, a familiar signpost appears and the corresponding theme music plays. It is nearly as big a surprise to have Laura Palmer actually walking and talking with other members of the cast. Lynch had the problem of telling a story which we already know the outcome and a lot of the details of. He gets around this by telling the story from the point of view of the one person we have not really heard in the series, Laura. The usual twists and turns and odd angles on people and events are all there, with some very cleverly done scenes distorting the entire interpretation of the earlier series. 
If you like the original undiluted TP, you'll like this one too. And there are enough hooks to hang another sequel on to let us know what happened to the other characters. Bob. Joe Zitt wrote on August 30th, 1992, Well, I just got back from the movie. A few observations. Everybody on this news group should see the movie. Now. Go. Don't bother logging off. It's exactly what many of us have been hoping for. Nobody who is not either in this group or a kindred spirit should see it. It will make absolutely no sense to anyone who hasn't watched the show and mulled it over in great detail. Remember back when we had the sneaky feeling that Lynch Frost were reading this news group and scripting based on what we were saying? Well, this even looks more like that than the series does. I get the feeling that they kept an eye on whatever kept us most interested in talking and made sure to put it in the movie. The film was targeted very specifically at the fanatic audience, and they did their research seeing what fans wanted to be in it. Even more than the show, this had the careful feel where everything shown is significant. We now have a better feeling, for example, of what the ceiling fan was for. Leland Bob switched it on when going to Laura so that Sarah wouldn't hear what he was doing. The most obvious thing not in the movie? The Black White Lodge. My guess? That was not part of the original conception, and like almost everything else after episode 2009, was tacked on to extend things. The movie got rid of the plotburger helper and got back into focus. Actually, I think Annie mentioned The Lodge. That was a hook to what I think will be another movie, where they try to reintegrate the show. So, what does Garmin Bosia have to do with it? Is it corn, or is it pain and sorrow, or both? Cheryl Lee had more range than I expected. She played Laura very differently than she played Maddie. Stuff for the next movie. Twin Peaks, one chance out? What's with Jeffries? Where is Desmond? What about the doppelgangers? Do we learn more about the Bob-Mike relationship? And what about Naomi? Go to an extreme and then retreat to a more useful position. Brian Eno. That's the quote that ends it. And I don't know who Naomi is. I don't know what that's a reference to. Sally A. Wilson on August 31st, 1992 says, Ciao. Joe Zitt made a good point that the movie was like a passion play in that the viewers were expected to know the story prior to coming to the flick. That is similar to the Greek plays wherein the crowd already knew the stories of the gods and the Greek heroes prior to coming to the tragedies and comedies. If you see a classical Greek play today without knowing the backgrounds, you would be completely lost. The play definitely was for Peaks fans, who knew the characters, the stories, the themes, and motifs. An end note. I just loved the beginning with the staticky, real word, television. I may be reading too much into it, but on one level, I found it a great inside joke. Our televisions were dead, no TP on the air. Then the axe coming down, again a joke on how the show was killed, hacked to death by some yo-yo TV execs. But then, the film starts and it might be off the air, but it ain't dead. Sally. Jeff Makey, on September 1st, 1992, quotes someone else who says, uh, George D. Emmons, who wrote on this board, Loved the girl in the beginning. The fact that she was there did two things for me. One, I instantly respected Desmond for picking up on all those clues, just like that. And Jeff responds to this comment by saying, There was no smiley in this posting, and no one else has said this either, so here goes. I just about died laughing at this scene. It was so obvious that Lynch et al. were poking fun at us, the rabid fans of Twin Peaks who spend hours analyzing every detail of the show. I really wish I had the movie on tape so I could freeze frame it. Jeff Makey, Department of Tautological Pleonasms and Super Superfluous Redundancies. Scott J. Gorsey on September 2nd, 1992, uh, quoted someone else's comment on 
on Cheryl Lee's, quote, wretched acting. Doug Kornstein wrote, yeah, if you mean by good acting the regular descent into tear-filled histrionics that are barely justified and not especially convincing, about halfway through the movie, I was hoping Leland would hurry up and kill her so she would stop crying all the time. So Scott responds to this, regular as compared to what? Barely justified? If being regularly raped by your father since the age of 12, not to mention being bombarded by Bob's desire to take away your body and keep you prisoner in it for 50 or 60 years, sure, I'd call that barely reason to cry once or twice, or be scared, or to lose your mind and go on coke binges to forget your pain, or do anything else that might lessen the pain. Sure, I see your point almost immediately. As for convincing, well, I guess it is pretty easy for us all to be familiar with what kind of a person a victim of all the above would be like. And then Scott goes on to quote some more of Doug's uh, attack. It says, Doug wrote, On the whole, I thought her acting job was pretty wretched, and the only real recommendation I could give is, go see the movie if you want to see Cheryl Lee's breasts. Other than that, filming this movie was a pretty big mistake, as it tries to embody the mystery of Laura P. and merely reduces her to a whiny and less than sympathetic little twit. It may not be something Lynch could have changed. This series was driven and empowered by the very mysterious nature of Laura. They removed that. And Scott responds to this, A little more than half of Twin Peaks occurred after Laura's murder was solved. How does that embody her mystery? If you think Laura and Firewalk with me was unsympathetic, I'd hate to be judged by you. Whiny? You'd whine a little if your father was molesting you. What's the problem with a movie that isn't driven on the mystery of how she wound up dead, but driven by how she wound up dead? I thought Firewalk with me was not only driving, but also intense and incredibly suspenseful. I think Lynch and Engels really turned our foreknowledge of the ending into a strength. And then he quotes the teaser scenes, uh, another comment from Scott saying, or Doug saying, and the teaser scenes in the series about the murder in the train car are far more effective dramatically than what they actually filmed for the movie. And Scott responds, for sheer effect, I think I'd actually have to agree with you here. Renette's flashbacks were goddamn scary, much more intense than what we saw in Firewalk with me. But the Firewalk Me train car scene, well, one of the most faulty in the film, I think, puts a new and wonderful twist on it. How Lara beats Bob. How even though she dies, it's in dying that she wins. For Lynch, this is indeed a happy ending. That is the gold in the Firewalk With Me version. And then another quote from Doug saying, I was disappointed. And Scott said, I'm really sorry you felt that way because I'm thrilled with Firewalk With Me. The explanations are shocking and interesting. The possibilities are open. And the passion play mythology, I think, shown for the first time to their potential, as the snippets we got of Little Man from Another Place and Bob and Red Room stuff in the series was way too few and far between. You know something I just realized? Pierre Tremond and David Bowie and a couple of other people in the Above the Convenience Store meeting were wearing owl masks. I thought they were cute little witch masks, but I think they were stylized owls. Anybody else think this? Scott. Hi-ho, Kermit the Frog here that's the name of the user, wrote on September 14th, 1992. Okay, so the movie's been out for a couple of weeks, and everybody's put in their two cents worth on what was right and wrong. Lots of little carps and kvetches. Things that were left out, things that should have been cut. Now it's time to ask all the wannabe lynches out there, what would you have done differently? We all know how much was left on the cutting room floor for this movie. What scenes would you rather have seen, and what do you think sh should still have been cut? Are there any extra scenes that weren't in the script that you would have liked to have seen? Bear in mind the fact that the movie was already damn long at 210, and that for anything you'd add, you'd probably have to cut something. My personal ideas aren't all that complicated. First up, I would definitely have put in one shot of Leland shoving the R under Laura's fingernail. Otherwise, the T under Teresa's makes no sense whatsoever in the context of the movie. 
Second, the entire half hour before Laura appears would be cut to the bone. The number of scenes could be counted on one hand. The TV smashed, Teresa floating down the river, Desmond and Stanley do the autopsy and find the T. Coop says he feels the killer will strike again, bang, into the Twin Peaks title sequence. Keep the movie focused on what it's about, Laura Palmer. None of this confusion about Cliff Howard, and no Philip Jeffries scene. Maybe splice a couple of shots from the gathering of owls into the convenience store in Laura's dream, to explain Garmin Bosia, but that's it. All that stuff involving the FBI investigation really belonged in a completely separate movie. In fact, I'd love to see it explored to that depth, just not here. As for additions, I'd add a Meal on Wheels run, simply to introduce Harold Smith and the Tremonts. Otherwise, they seem to just come out of nowhere. At the end, I'd put in at least one scene to make it clear that Laura knows she is going to die. Maybe she writes that last diary entry and mails it to Harold. Make the thematic shape of the movie clearer that way. The end result, a slimmer, more focused film that could almost stand on its own. Anyone else want to come forward with their improvements to Firewalk with me? Peter Stoltz commented on October 21st, 1992, I have a somewhat less otherworldly idea about Firewalk with me. I mean this to be kind of an addition to the mystical, mythological views, because I certainly believe that is the basis of Lynch's story. But as I watched the movie, it occurred to me that someone who wasn't familiar with the Twin Peaks story might see it as a story about an abusive father and the effects this abuse has on his daughter, rather than about the lodge beings. Like I said, this is meant to be a parallel interpretation, not a complete explanation in itself. But I think that we can look at Bob as a side of Leland's personality, one he has pushed into his subconscious. Recall that he never remembers doing horrible things to Laura. At breakfast, he can't understand why Laura is so upset the morning after he rapes her, and in the car, after seeing the one-armed man, he doesn't remember being home the previous week, at least not right away. And Laura also isn't consciously aware that it's her father that is raping her all these years. Her subconscious makes her see Bob, rather than admit to herself that it is her father. But hiding this from herself becomes such a psychological burden that she turns to drugs and sex as an escape. As the plot unfolds, Laura slowly comes to admit to herself that it is her father that abuses her, and as Leland, subconsciously at least, comes to see that she knows this, he must either admit it to himself or kill her to keep from having to admit this to himself. He chooses the latter until the second season of the TV series, then he chooses the former. I guess my point is that I saw the movie as much about the psychological effects of incest and abuse on both father and daughter as about the lodge creatures. I think Lynch wanted Firewalk with me, in addition to helping develop the mythology behind Twin Peaks, to be about a daughter's realization that her father abuses her, and the physical and psychological damage this causes to both, just told in a very imaginative and intricate manner. I have never been a big fan of psychology. I never really believed in emotional trauma leading to psychological problems, like drug addiction or denial or schizophrenia. But Firewalk With Me was such a powerful testament to these things that I am now a firm believer. Peter. Rich Holler writes on October 25, 1992, just as we construct our own interpretations of reality, what follows was intended to be a comment on the posting which quotes Lynch as saying that anyone who thinks he understands what's going on in Twin Peaks is wrong, or words to that effect. The original disappeared from our rapidly recycling server before I could comment. I think what Lynch means is that he doesn't originate this stuff in a self-conscious way, but rather intuitively. Someone has remarked that Lynch seems to have more access to his unconscious than most, I believe that it has also been said that he does not dream. 
What this probably means is that he may have reported that he has no memories of dreams. I doubt anyone has put him in a sleep lab and reported no REM, etc. Think of TP in general, and Firewalk With Me in particular, as being created more like a dream than a novel. I don't mean that it is supposed to be a dream, but that the process by which it is constructed is more like the way in which a dream comes to be than uh, something like Chinatown comes to be. If so, then what Lynch is saying is that not only we don't know what it all means, but in a real sense, he doesn't either. That he hasn't created a puzzle for us to solve, a la Agatha Christie or James Joyce, but rather delivered something given to him by his muse that he doesn't fully understand himself. This is not to say that Lynch doesn't do any analysis or crafting of his work, but only that there are things in it that are there because they have to be. And these things don't always fit into a neat linear plan for the whole work. If this analysis is correct, then he has more in common with someone like William Burroughs than someone like James Joyce. Rich Haller. Hi-ho, Kermit the Frog here. Uh, Comments again on October 26, 1992. Fire Walk With Me is alive and well in the Dollar House cinemas, and now it's just gotten to the college campus circuit. It appeared at the University of Maryland as a midnight movie this past weekend. There was a much bigger audience for it than I've ever seen. The 300-seat theater was at least half full. This is not necessarily a good thing. Judging from the reactions of the audience and talking to some people afterwards, few of these people had any experience with Twin Peaks at all before this movie. They didn't get it. Not only that, but they thought it was a laugh riot. The air in the theater was filled with little whispered comments throughout the movie. Who's he? He's the FBI agent. I thought he just disappeared. No, that's a different one. Then who's the dude coming out of the elevator? Another FBI agent. Is this some kind of FBI movie or what? Etc. If there were ever a re-edited version of the movie, I would strongly suggest that they somehow trim Laura's gobble 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 line and the little man from another place. This table is formica. Green is its color. They had the entire audience in hysterics and totally destroyed any grip on reality they had. Then again, almost anything the little man from another place said was cause for much merriment. On the other hand, they did laugh in all the right places. And even better, they jumped in all the right places. Better still, they were laughing right after they jumped. It was that giddy sort of laughter that comes from having been given the shock of your life and slowly settling back to earth. One phrase I overheard from a woman after an appearance by Bob would really warm David Lynch's heart. Oh, geez, I feel like I've been through labor. Her voice was laughing and shaking at the same time. That's what Mr. Lynch has been trying for through all his movies. On the whole, despite wanting to murder about half the audience, like the guy who told me afterwards that he'd hated everything by David Lynch had ever seen, but decided to come to this one just for a nice loud laugh, it was oddly successful. Why? because afterwards, everyone was standing out in the theater hallway talking about the film. A bunch of people even said that they were interested in seeing episodes of the series, either again or for the first time. And that's what makes this movie worthwhile. Brad Morris, on January 7th, 1993, commented, I have seen Cooper's blood-stained shirt in person. I spent some time in Lynch Frost, saw Ed's motorcycle, gathering dust, etc., I had a chat with Robert Engels, co-writer of Fire Walk With Me. Unfortunately, I did not keep up with Twin Peaks as much as I should have. I followed very closely until Bob was revealed, then kind of lost interest. My brother was a production assistant for On the Air. He is now production assistant for Sirens, which is being produced by Bob Engels. I pumped Robert Engels for info and got some pretty interesting responses. Of course, He said that David would be mad if he knew what I learned. David doesn't like to reveal anything about TP. Anyway, I'm pretty sure that by now Lynch Frost is dead. 
we will probably not see any more Twin Peaks. Of course, for enough money, anything could happen. Pretty interesting stuff. What I came to realize most of all was that there probably wasn't one one-hundredth of the thought put into Twin Peaks that there was thinking about the series on this news group. Almost 25 years later, I asked fans, both new viewers and those who had watched the original airing, how they reacted to the film. Here's what they wrote. This was on the uh, Doug Poe World of Blue forum in 2014. Rocketson22 said, By this point, I would have taken anything new Twin Peaks related. I must have seen the movie six or seven times in the theater, as it showed at one of the artsy theaters in Montreal where I was going to school. I'm pretty sure I snuck in a pocket tape recorder so that I could relive the story at home. Ross said, Since my love for TP never wavered, I was excited beyond belief to see Fire Walk With Me. I was initially disappointed to hear it was a prequel, but there was the promise of more to come, and I hoped there were going to be hints of that in the film. There was so little written about it beforehand, with no internet. It wasn't until close to it coming out that I learned LFB, Lara Flynn Boyle, had been replaced. That really bummed me out, and I had no idea she, Kyle, and Fenn were all jumping on the anti-peaks bandwagon. I saw it opening night well away at school, taking a summer class. It was actually pretty packed being a college town. The next weekend I saw it with my brother, well back home. I think there were two other people in the whole theater. I did manage to see it a third time during its short run. I actually loved the film from the beginning, and never really understood the criticism. In fact, the absolute hatred from critics was really disheartening at the time. I remember when I found the video watchdog issue on the film and finally saw there was someone else who loved it. I was surprised to see so many characters left out, mostly because I had heard they were in the movie. I had read interviews and articles with Aunt Keen, Chen, and others saying that they had filmed scenes, so I kept waiting for them to appear. It wasn't until later that I learned they had all been cut. Other than that disappointment, my only complaints with Firewalk with me were always the cosmetic things. Why did they use a different house? Why didn't they throw a wig on Norma, etc., etc.? I wanted it to visually match the series, but the movie itself I've always loved. Bob One wrote, I was flabbergasted and delighted in all, and I went to see it in the cinema once again. You can imagine that it was no hit, so must have stayed on screens for a rather short time. Inviting for this experience, the girl I was in love with all through high school. The situation between us was rather clear. She knew I loved her, she never pretended to share my feelings, but... We were good friends and spent quite a lot of time together. It was also clear that I am a huge Peaks fan, even though it had been a long time since the show's end. She used to watch it too, of course, but like a regular viewer, not a freak. Well, anyway, I told her there was this Twin Peaks feature film, and I loved it, so let's go and see it. So we went. Well, we never really got to talk about it too much. It seemed she was taken aback. I remember one thing she said right afterwards. Wow, she said, that doesn't look like a film I want to ever see again in my life. But it didn't have to mean I hated it. I don't suppose I want to see train spotting ever again, and I still find it to be a masterpiece. I can very well understand that Fire Walk With Me can be so emotionally shocking and morally challenging that it is hardly bearable. Personally, I did not have this problem. It's the film by Lynch that I've watched the most times, I suppose. Gabrielle wrote, Saw it day one of its UK nationwide release. It's a terrific film, and for all it doesn't have a lot of the regular cast, it fits stylistically with the show up to the point where Maddie is killed. I was watching a lot of Lynch and other arthouse directors at the time, thanks to Sky Movies and to UK video distributor Palace Pictures going bust, meaning a lot of VHSs were selling plentifully and cheaply. I loved the film and wanted more. The same addiction to the show I had up to the killer's reveal returned, and I hoped for a long time that 
in spite of a bunch of snobby French film critics and the Sibby 2000 fallout, that there would be more. CB2000 was the production company that made the film. And there were some lawsuits afterwards. They didn't hold up their contract with Lynch, and they were in court for years and all that kind of stuff. So that's what that's referring to. Rami Arola wrote, It was shown on television in early 1995. I taped it and watched it through on a daily basis for quite a long time. I think that after a few years, I had already seen it more than 30 times. Back then, it was the best movie I'd ever seen, and it still is. Hope's Fall wrote, it took me until way into my late teens before I got around to seeing Firewalk with me and reading Cooper's autobiographical book. I loved the book, but didn't like the film at all. I actually only started to appreciate the film years later, and now absolutely adore it and class it as one of my favorites of all time. And Y.G. Drazel wrote, The very first viewing was done amid a general, this can't be as bad as Wikipedia said, mindset, and also much distraction and pausing. Due to said distraction and fragmented viewing, I was left with little coherent memory of events, general confusion at what I'd watched, but a deep intrigue and desire to see it again. The user Black Moon Lilith wrote, Fire Walk With Me is an interesting case. I loved it when I first saw it and love it now, but for very different reasons. When the show took that infamous mid-season two turn, I was hanging on by my fingernails to the mythology as something to look forward to. I think Lynch's last episode fulfilled my hopes that it'd be a way to save the show. But even more than that, I thought the film was an absolutely satisfying and complete experience to someone who was interested in Bob and Mike and the Red Room and wanted answers. We often hear that Lynch's work doesn't make any sense, but I completely disagree. His vision has such a unity to it that even though I may not be able to use words to explain to you what exactly happened in scene X or scene Y, it does make sense on an emotional level. I think a lot of his critics even realize this, but then overthink it. Eraser is a good example of a film that I think almost everyone gets in terms of what Henry's going through on romantic, parental, and existential levels, and then assume they didn't get the film because they don't have a rational explanation for why the chickens twitched and squirted blood or vomit or goo. All of which is to say that while I may not have known exactly what Mike was talking about when he mentions a Formica tabletop, I got that this was a connection between him and the little man, even before he places his hand on Gerard's stump. I didn't know why the left arm went numb, but I knew that it linked Laura and Teresa's experiences and lives, and their connection to both the supernatural and Leland. Once Mike asked for the Garmin Bosia, and the subtitles revealed their meaning, the whole context of Bob and Mike and their role within the town suddenly makes sense. Bob hoarded Leland and Laura's grief and suffering. Mike wedded him to the ring and gave Laura a chance to die, thus allowing the grief to be spread more evenly out across the town, as we see in the pilot. For the humans, it's incomprehensible cruelty and misery, but it's only currency, or maybe even a drug, to beings who don't have our morality. I thought this was a more than satisfactory conclusion to what was set up by Episode 2's Dream, as well as Frost's late Season 2 stuff. I felt like the mythology was wrapped up in a nice little bow, even if I couldn't tell you how Lynch tied the knot. The funny part about it is, I failed in terms of instinctively grasping the story that Lynch actually wanted to tell. Lara's own story didn't really get me that much. Lost in the Movies has talked about how it wasn't until rewatches that he realized the power in Season 2, Episode 1's final scene and Maddie's death. But I can honestly say the film was that with me too. Perhaps it was the Deer Meadow section, perhaps it was watching it at work on a laptop with headphones... But I was distant from Laura. I have no idea now how now, as everything after who knows where or when, click, is drowning in Laura's perspective. But it was still more of a finale to the mythology to me. 
than an exploration of sexual abuse. Along the same lines, it wasn't until I was discussing the film with a friend did that, that I realized all the stuff that suggested Leland wasn't an innocent. I mean, it's clear as day now, but at the time, I had just taken episode 16 on its word, and viewed all the creepy dad and Teresa stuff as that evil spirit indulging in an innocent man's body. It took me to the second, or maybe even third, rewatch to finally get the film on this human level, which is weird, because I feel like more people connect with the human stuff, and then the supernatural. But for me, it was the other way around. I still love and am fascinated by not just the mythology of TP in general, but the mythology of Firewalk with me, which I think is some of Lynch's strongest weird stuff. But I more prefer the film now as the broken life and eventual redemption of this endlessly fascinating character, given one of the two best performances from an actress that I've ever seen in a film, along with Megumi Ogata in The End of Evangelion, another franchise that has me hooked on both the complicated mythos and the raw humanity. But at the time, it was all, of course, the little man is Mike's arm. The little man is Mike. Hooded man, or hooded Matt, rather, commented, loved it, in spite of and because of its darker tone. The Chet Desmond and Deer Meadow part was a little disconcerting at first, but I got into it as soon as they hit the airport and saw Lil. The FBI sequence was a surprise, in part because of David Bowie and in part because of the convenience store footage. By the time we hit Twin Peaks itself, naturally, I did miss some of the series' characters who weren't there, Lucy and Andy the most but it felt right that we stayed with Laura and her ordeal. The ending felt like it was the perfect way to end the story. Not totally closed or tied up, but Laura was free from her torments and looked truly happy. I cried when she broke out into that beautiful smile in the red room while Cooper stood behind her. Night C left this comment. I've gone back and forth over whether or not I should post this. I've been a visitor to these discussion boards for a while, but didn't join until recently. But one of the main reasons as to why I joined is to be able to respond to the fire walk with me aspect of this thread. There's no need for me to delve too far into this, nor would I, but I know what it's like to be abused at a young age. Essentially, I knew nothing about Twin Peaks or David Lynch when this film was originally released. I was all of 14 years old. I'd recently been through a terrible, terrible ordeal with a sexual predator. My father was absolutely horrible, so to say the least, I identified with Laura. On my first viewing of the film, I found the last 20 minutes or so incredibly difficult to endure. By the end of the film, the scene with the angel, it was as if a floodgate had been opened, and I couldn't stop crying. Laura felt such relief in that final scene, to no longer be abused. I understood the relief that she felt. Over the years, I've gotten to the point where I can watch those last few scenes without falling apart emotionally. I went on to discover Lynch's other work. I found out that he had directed The Elephant Man, which I loved. My mother purchased a box set of the original Twin Peaks series for me on VHS. Slowly, I went through his work. Mulholland Drive is probably my favorite film, period, with Mysterious Skin by Greg Araki coming in at a close second. If I could ever meet David Lynch in person, I would just want to hug him. For the longest time, I wasn't aware that the film had been received so harshly upon its original release. I just happened to see it in a local video store, and the cover intrigued me. Little did I know that I would bond with it to such a degree. I'm almost crying as I type this. If readers have made it this far, thank you for your time. I may go back and address the other subjects of this thread soon, but I simply had to get my thoughts on Firewalk with me out there in the open and off my chest. Thank you, Lost in the Movies, for the thread, and I promise not to be so emotional in future posts. The great transformation in the broader public reputation of Firewalk Me took place as these things tend to do, both slowly and all at once. 
From 1992 on, there was a trickle of reevaluation, primarily at first in those scholarly or journalistic essays that I already cited, where writers with their own unique sensibilities observed how rich of a text the film could provide, even if at the same time audiences brushed past it and critics angrily hurled it to the curb. There was also a growing, if slight, cult reputation among ordinary viewers, if ordinary is the right word for those who have such eccentric tastes. People who didn't have like a byline or a sinecure, only a membership at the local video store, and perhaps, as the internet began to blossom further than Usenet, the ability to post their thoughts into the online void. Within the horror genre, in particular, Firewalk Me began to find a birth, and so for two decades, in a kind of pincher movement where it was celebrated as a far-out horror flick and a criminally underrated auteurist art film, a counter-movement emerged, which would eventually install Firewalk With Me back into the pantheon. Well, what about Twin Peaks fans themselves? Here a distinction should probably be made between more casual fans and the fanatics, with the admission that those boundaries are porous and exceptions abound. And I'm also looking back at the evidence available from an era that I mostly did not participate in at the time. Initially, the film's reputation was more negative among that former group of casual fans, those who cherished the show and maybe even revisited parts of it regularly, to the extent that its fractured video status allowed, and maybe even left occasional comments on message boards from time to time. But they didn't tend to join in larger, devoted communities to discuss and read about it, or, you know, even create their own works of tribute or analysis. These are more just people who liked Twin Peaks, watched it repeatedly, maybe read a little bit about it, but were not like that devoted inner cult. So some of these people made their peace with the film, focusing on aspects they liked amidst the many disappointments, and others exiled Firewalk with me from their conscious altogether, excluding it from Twin Peaks proper in a way that was definitely facilitated by mainstream discourse, when that discourse even bothered to mention the largely forgotten series, let alone the never-noticed film. However, those who built a large component of their identity around Twin Peaks and shared it with the like-minded, people like subscribers to the Wrapped in Plastic fanzine, or attendees or even regular ticket holders to the annual Twin Peaks Festival in Snoqualmie, or daily commenters on fan blogs and forums for years on end, for that small circle, which was a minority even among the already tiny Peaks fan base, uh, they punched way above their weight, and for them, Firewalk With Me was a crucial, even crowning component of Twin Peaks. That was the overwhelming consensus. You can see this in the pages of Wrapped in Plastic, where John Thorne spun theories about Firewalk With Me that only bound it more tightly to the series, or on the Doug Poe webpage in the forum founded a few years after the magazine folded. This embraced the iconography of the movie and petitioned for a release of the deleted scenes, or even way back in 1992 on the alt.tv.twin peaks comments, where the show's earliest and most devoted fans, as we've already read, tended to roll with what the movie offered right away. Again, there was not unanimity. Some of the most hyper involved Peaks fans did not care for Firewalk with me, and some of the really casual ones loved it. But overall, those really involved fans, the, the inner cult, the, the fanatics, they did tend to recognize that if they didn't like Firewalk with me, they were a minority among their peers, if not the general public. One thing worth noting, though, which divided these two repositories of pro-Twin Peaks sentiment, the scholars and the cult horror aficionados on the one hand, and the most obsessively devoted Peaks fans on the other, is that 
one tended to either separate Firewalk with me from the series and treat it as a rich object of curiosity in its own right, as the film buffs of various backgrounds and disciplines did, or on the other hand, to defend it by totally subsuming it within the larger paratext of Twin Peaks. So treating Firewalk with me's importance as if it derived from Twin Peaks, if that makes sense, rather than being kind of independent of it. The question is, did Firewalk with me subvert or fulfill the series? And it often didn't seem as if it could be both. Now, where this ended up going is something we'll return to in a little while, but this is roughly where I enter the story. So it's time to answer my own appeal, the same one that the other fans were responding to that I just read in those comments. So here's what I wrote in response to my own question on that Doug forum about first experiences with Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me, the film itself. So here's what I wrote back in the summer 2014. Feeling that the show had declined so sharply after resolving the mystery, missing Lynch's presence behind the camera, and having been fascinated by the aura of Lara, I was naturally very excited to see the movie. And this, I should note, is referring to my initial viewing in 2008. So at this point when I wrote this, I was looking back six years. I had picked up some sense that it was controversial somewhere. I can't remember where or what but I had no idea how much it was hated. I knew, obviously, that it was a prequel. I don't totally recall my reaction to the early scenes. After watching the film, I thought they were unnecessary, but that was partly colored by having just sat through all the Lara stuff. I think I was probably into them as a cool Lynchian set piece while they were actually unfolding. Overall, the first half of the movie felt very refreshing to me. What a treat to be back under the spell of David Lynch after such a dry stretch, not including the finale. When Laura showed up, it was so cool. As much as wanting to solve the whodunit of the show, I'd been drawn in by the presence of this mystery figure who meant so many different things to so many people, who was always present, yet frustratingly just out of reach. But I was also aware that the movie was walking a fine line here. Was it just going to be a perfunctory retelling of events we already knew? Were the actors now a bit too old for the parts? Was Lynch too distant from the pilot to recapture the mood of Twin Peaks? And while Shirley had been perfectly cast as the alluring high school portrait and frozen corpse, I had no idea if she could actually carry a movie. Her performance as Maddie hadn't impressed me very much, and certainly she had never had a notable career outside of Twin Peaks, suggesting that maybe she was just a screen presence rather than a true actress. I don't think I terribly minded the absence of Cooper and the ensemble, and the show's usual mood or style, but I wasn't sure yet if Firewalk With Me was going to work. During all the woozy walking to and around the high school scenes, I had my doubt. It seemed like maybe Lynch was just indulging his own fetish desire to explore Lara's secret world. I expected to enjoy the movie for the curio aspect, if nothing else, but wasn't sure it would really live up to the first half of the series. I'm not sure what the turning point was. It may have been as early as Lara's goofy dialogue with James. A turkey is one of the dumbest birds. Gobble, gobble. Which is as weirdly affecting as it is goofy. You suddenly realize that Lee is playing it straight instead of winking at us as the show would have done. It may have been her smiling at Bobby, which has the quintessentially intense Lynch slow burn quality to it. I think by the angel speech, though, I was hooked. Wow, I thought. This movie is going to be really good, and hot damn, this girl can act. I was blown away by Mike in traffic, Laura's dream, really everything with that open door picture, which terrified me on this first viewing in ways I can't quite explain, like the most uncanny image I'd ever seen in a movie. And especially the pink room. 
even though this was the time of the New Line DVD with the incorrectly mixed dialogue. This struck me as the most hypnotic and brilliant sequence I'd ever seen in a Lynch film, which put it in the running for most hypnotic and brilliant sequence ever. And most of all, every scene delivered further indication that I was witnessing an extraordinary performance by Lee. I had no clue that this was in store for me when I started the film, and it was such a thrilling discovery. You'd think, with all of that, that as soon as the movie ended, I would instantly declare it a masterpiece. But I didn't. The problem for me was that the film reawakened and plunged into all the dark stuff from episode 14 that I'd managed to push aside. I watched plenty of dark and disturbing movies up to this point, so it wasn't the subject so much that bothered me as the fact that by presenting it in the context of a half-joking, whimsical murder mystery, Twin Peaks had gotten under my skin and made the reveal feel unusually discomforting. For whatever reason, episode 16 led me to conclude that Bob was Laura's real tormentor, and that he used Leland to kill her. I think I compartmentalized the rape part and concluded that he was abusing her as a spirit outside of any physical body. As I wrote in my review at the time, the sense was that Laura's troubles originated outside of her home. Well, the wash your hands scene destroyed that impression in one fell swoop and left me really shaken. So that was what I wrote about my initial viewing in 2008, in retrospect, of course, with the hindsight of six years. And now, after that, I've got another six, seven years of, of hindsight. Uh, but I want to talk about what happened in between that initial viewing and me looking back on it there. So the very next day in 2008, after I had watched Firewalk with me for the first time and written my review, I followed up my initial review by noting that the film was so powerful uh, that its brilliance overrode any flaws. And I defended it right away against the brutal and unfair attacks that critics had made in 1992, which I only discovered in the wake of that first viewing. I think I went to Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic, scrolled through, and saw how awful the reviews were and how totally they misunderstood the movie. And it was like in that moment, any reservations I had kind of became secondary to like, wow, they didn't even recognize the brilliant parts of this. And I had to respond. So I watched a few more Lynch films uh, for the first or second time in the coming month after that initial watching of Firewalk with me. And I did revisit the series almost immediately, composing an episode guide as I rewatched the first half. But that episode guide stopped with the episode in which Leland died and jumped right to the finale. It actually wouldn't be until 2014 that I saw any of the mid or late season two episodes a second time. Now, all this Twin Peaks activity in that fall of 2008 was mixed in with a lot of other online and viewing activity. I was very closely following the Obama-McCain election. I was writing reviews every single day for my new blog, which the episode guide was a part of. And I was beginning to interact with a larger movie blogosphere, which was really in full throttle back then. It kind of died very rapidly within a few years. I go back now and I go to a lot of those sites and I look and they haven't published anything since like 2013 or 2015. But at that time, it was really going strong. It's amazing and surprisingly coincidental how my online work blossomed at the exact same time that I discovered Twin Peaks, but it did in that summer of 2008. And the Peaks-Lynch axis was one instrument in that orchestra, but it was not an overwhelming one. That changed in 2014 thanks to a used book, the essay anthology Full of Secrets, which had been stuck in an online shopping cart since that initial Peaks enthusiasm. And I finally purchased it when I needed to use up a gift card. For several reasons, this was an opportune moment to fall back into this universe. And that's exactly what happened in a way that honestly has never really let up since despite the many stages of the Odyssey that began 
uh, at that point, seven and a half years ago, at the time of this recording. You may be listening to it in 2022 if you're listening to it publicly, so think eight years ago at that point. So I read that book of essays. I began reading more stuff online. I started rewatching the series on, uh, hate to say it, but an iPhone, don't tell Lynch. And I finally began discussing the film at length. That said, I'd actually already returned to Firewalk With Me on its own for the first time in years, uh, a few months earlier. In the fall of 2013, in the midst of a screenshot exercise that consumed my site and social media for a year, I was keeping track of everything I watched with a single image and caption, I marathoned a bunch of classic movies, one from each decade. By another coincidence, this unfolded exactly eight years ago this week, so first time that I had rewatched Firewalk With Me ever was exactly... Uh, eight years ago. I watched Firewalk with me on September 2nd, 2013 for that exercise, and it was September 2nd, 2021 for this one. So the other films that were in this lineup were 2001, A Space Odyssey uh, from the 60s, Twin Peaks, Firewalk with me, obviously from the 90s was the second one I watched, and then Chinatown from the 70s, Sweet Smell of Success from the 50s, The Adventures of Robin Hood from the 30s, E.T. the Extraterrestrial from the 80s, Sunrise from the 20s, Beauty and the Beast from the 40s, the Royal Tannenbaums from the Zeros, and Intolerance from the Teens. So just to kind of give you a sense of that cinematic uh, context that it was uh, embedded in. And also, in previous years, when I'd watched a clip here or there, it was usually part of some list I was making, like favorite directors, or when I was doing my 32 Days of Movies clip exercise, where I had a clip from every film in my collection, I put it chronologically, so like Firewalk with me was squeezed between, I think, maybe uh, Last of the Mohicans and Double Life of Veronique. So, you know, the, it was in this larger cinematic context, not a Twin Peaks context, that I was engaging with Firewalk Me, if at all, during this five-year period where I didn't watch it. So I watched it again in that context, moved on, and it was another six months before the new Peaks obsession would take hold, so it was kind of apart from that. But just interesting that in the prologue and the lead-up to that, I did actually kind of break my fast of uh, Firewalk With Me. Now, here's where my own journey begins to merge with the broader fan response. So let's return to that idea of the larger experience as it stood in uh, 2008 to like 2014 when I was getting back into, uh, or I was getting into Twin Peaks and back into it. So the Gold Box DVD set of 2007, and especially the streaming Netflix premiere around 2010 or 2011, fueled an influx of new fans into the Twin Peaks community obviously, of which I was a part. Suddenly, the show was a hot topic again, with a new generation eagerly consuming it and then sharing their love via memes and GIFs and other online celebrations. But the film remained somewhat separate from the series during this time, both officially and unofficially, because if you bought the series or you watched it on Netflix, Firewalk With Me was not a part of that. By yet another sheer coincidence, there's a lot of these, <laughs> go figure, Lynch's numerology maybe, my re-entry into Twin Peaks in the spring of 2014 uh, coincided with the announcement that the long-awaited missing pieces, deleted scenes, were going to be included in a deluxe Blu-ray set entitled The Entire Mystery, along with both Firewalk With Me and the entire series. So this brought the movie back into some more public consciousness than it had been in a long time, even when Twin Peaks was being discussed. So clearly something was in the air. That spring and summer, I slowly began commenting on the series in various forms. And I remember encountering a majority opinion still that the film wasn't worthy of the show. In defending it, I wondered if it should be separated completely for its own critical redemption. 
But then when they finally came out that summer, the missing pieces shifted that lens for me, particularly the sequence in which Laura visits the Haywards. I found a bridge between the two worlds. Since we're stockpiling coincidences, I once looked back over my Netflix DVD history and realized that I'd received the Killer's Reveal episode six years to the day before I watched The Missing Pieces, July 29th, 2008 and 2014. Incidentally, that I first tried to rent the show back when I didn't realize that the pilot wasn't available, uh, two years, again, to the day before I successfully rented the pilot. What does Dale Cooper say about this sort of thing? I think we all know. Anyway, as I continued to comment on Firewalk With Me into that fall of 2014, and as Lynch and Frost announced that the show would be coming back for a season three, I began to notice a subtle but dramatic shift, not so much a deluge, but perhaps the crossing of a line, uh, the reaching of a critical mass, maybe, among fans who were talking about the show online. All of a sudden, Firewalk With Me Sucks did not seem like the conventional wisdom. As new podcasts pop up left and right, Uh, Ranging from veteran-guided tours to fresh-faced intro cast to a combination of the two, the hosts almost always tended to find Firewalk With Me invigorating, both a great addition to the series and, quite often, a transcendence of its limitations. The Reddit board on Twin Peaks really took off, and there as well, like, Firewalk With Me is good was the consensus, and if you came with another opinion, you know, the people were going to disagree with you. They might, you know, respectfully engage, but you you would be in the minority there as well. So... With all of this going on, when Lynch publicly announced that Firewalk With Me was going to be very crucial to the new series, how that unfolded we'll leave for a later discussion to avoid spoilers, at that point, that direct, like, authorial intervention almost felt like a coup de grace. The mercurial shift in sentiment that sometimes happens around artistic tastes or pop culture trends or political issues had happened to Firewalk With Me in the midst of Twin Peaks' own reascension. What had already been the favorite opinion among those most active was now shared much more widely, perhaps in part because being an active Twin Peaks fan had actually become a much more common form of fandom. And it also helps immensely that Firewalk With Me is now so heavily embedded in the texture of Twin Peaks itself, no longer a coda, but a fulcrum within the work. Over the past few days, uh, I personally rewatched Firewalk With Me with this podcast in mind. Because I've kept viewing journals since before my second viewing of the film, I could actually count up the times that I've watched this movie, uh, excluding clips, uh, but I'm not going to do so now. At the very least, it would have to be a dozen times, at least probably more than 20. I know this offhand because that's about how many times I've engaged with the film on my site, via written pieces, video essays, podcasts, and so forth, necessitating, when I was doing anything in-depth, repeat viewings for each response. For all the times I've seen Firewalk With Me, very few of those viewings have been, I think I'll just put this on now to watch it. They've almost always been part of a larger project involving some form of response on my part. Even given that familiarity, this remains a tough film to watch, awakening all sorts of emotions that feel both cathartic and exhausting. It's also a bumpy ride because of the narrative structure, which I never really get used to. This time I watched the film in two sessions, everything leading up to Cooper's Who Knows Where or When one night, and everything after the one-year-later title the next day. So, more than ever, I was struck by how different the two experiences are. I also paused frequently to take notes, something I almost never do with this film, or even very much with others. These notes accumulated in different sections, and so near the end of the Laura material, as I composed a new observation, I'd have to scroll past notes mentioning Chet, or Sam, or even Haps, 
and I'd experience a momentary burst of disorientation, kind of like an amnesiac remembering a past life that was forgotten in the intensity of the present. As always, I was struck by the film's ability to break through all the fences that could hem it in. Even as I cataloged its elements and rewound to analyze the mise-en-scene of a particular shot, the very second that I'd unpause that remote and return to the film, I'd feel completely enveloped in its fold. This may be in large part due to the sound work, actually. Lynch creates such a richly evocative texture that your brain is able to click right back into the film's groove in an instant. Occasionally, I was reminded that I was not only watching a particular movie yet again, I was winding up a two-year and nine-month viewing experience that began in January 2019 when I kicked off Lost in Twin Peaks for patrons with The Missing Pieces. In that sense, I really am coming full circle. How much has happened in the world just since that point? I was using my note template for this series for the very last time as I watched Firewalk With Me, closing a particularly in-the-weeds chapter of my longer Twin Peaks odyssey. The Season 3 coverage of this series was mostly completed the previous summer in 2018, within a somewhat different framework that I later integrated into Lost in Twin Peaks. So really, as far as I was concerned, watching these movies, taking these notes, transferring them into podcast form... That was really like January 2019 to September 2021, wrapping it up there. Today, as I record this, it's the fourth anniversary of the season three finale. But I know that this odyssey had to end not with that conclusion, but with Firewalk with me. And no matter what Twin Peaks may come in the future, the story for me always ends with Laura crying in the red room, having finally found her angel. And now, let's shift our focus to The Missing Pieces in 2014. The Missing Pieces received fairly positive press, although I don't think they were discussed that often as an independent work. They were more used as an opportunity to revisit and reassess Firewalk With Me, which was great, and also Twin Peaks as a whole. Uh, It was a fairly minor pop culture event, but exciting for people who were already into Twin Peaks. Fans really seemed to dig it. They, They incorporated the lore into the larger Twin Peaks discussions. Uh, which I think is what David Lynch intended. And uh, Mark Frost has also commented on them much more often than he ever commented on the film itself, which is certainly interesting. Personally, I found that uh, Missing Pieces really emphasized connections between the works of Twin Peaks and Firewalk with Me, which I'd come to consider really far apart. Uh, you know, I, I loved both in very different ways, and it, but it was like, you know, maybe they need a divorce because a lot of Twin Peaks fans just didn't have the respect I thought that that you know they should have for Firewalk with me but the missing pieces by bringing Laura in with the community and having these scenes kind of interwoven for me cleared the way for Journey Through Twin Peaks like I don't know if I would have been able to make that video series without being able to conceive of this world as a whole and the missing pieces was really the glue that helped put that together for me I think in general the missing pieces marked a turning point in the reputation of Firewalk with me. Uh, so again, they sort of, sort of a secondary role there, uh, helping it to be viewed more as part of the larger Twin Peaks universe for, for many people. Now, personally, at this time, I thought because of that role as like a bridge or a glue, wouldn't it be cool if people watched the missing pieces between Twin Peaks and Firewalk with me? Because remember, at this time, we thought this was it. This is all we're going to get for Twin Peaks. And so, therefore... Uh, you know, why would you want to end your Twin Peaks journey 
on this suspensive note of Cooper saying, you know, I, I haven't brushed my teeth yet and the shot of Garmin Bosey and then that's it. Goodbye, Twin Peaks. You know, you're ending there instead of like Laura with her angel in the red room. So I think starting from that point, I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool to watch this between and see it as sort of an introduction to Laura Palmer's life, still at a little bit of a distance. Like there was a certain logic to it. And I still kind of feel that way, although I will concede that that's not a great way for first time viewers to watch the missing pieces. There's just, it's too hard for them to get to, to sort of not be thrown by the fact that these are deleted scenes. There's no real interstitial material to explain who these characters are, you know, the sheriff, in Deer Meadow and all of that stuff. It's just too perplexing. And I remember when I rec- when I suggested this at a time on a Blu-ray forum, there was a like violent reaction, like really snarky and rude. And again, I was saying, you know, I understand, uh, you, you know, you, you, I'm not saying people should watch this uh, without knowing that they're deleted scenes or something like, but I just thought it would be an interesting sort of way to smooth the path into a movie which had, alienated many people and people did not take kindly to that suggestion however i noticed on twitter around this time uh, charles de Lozarica, the producer of the entire mystery box had actually said he thought they would make an interesting introduction to the entire universe of twin peaks and you know he cautioned he wasn't actually recommending this he's just saying I think, you know, he had a friend who came with him who'd never seen any Twin Peaks and was like, wow, I'm kind of curious to see it now. Like, I have no idea what was going on in there, but these little glimpses into this world were fascinating. Around the time of the missing pieces, maybe a little bit earlier or starting a little bit earlier, but these comments would go on through the months after the missing pieces. Uh, On the Doug Poe World of Blue forum, I asked fans about their memories of the show, various turning points and so forth. And a few of them also addressed the afterlife of Twin Peaks as it stood at that time before there was uh, season three. Um, I think maybe a few of these were left after season three was announced. But at that time, we had just the original series. So here's what they said about that part of their Twin Peaks fandom. N. Needleman commented, I didn't summon up the courage to rewatch the series and make it all the way through until the mid to late 90s when I was a teenager and they were running it on Bravo. So there you go. Referring to how uh, they were frightened off by... Uh, I think the episode where Maddie is killed. Ross said, I discovered Wrapped in Plastic and was a loyal fan until it ended. My interest in TP never really went away, and I watched my taped-off-the-air VHS tapes for years. I was also hopeful for many years that TP might return, but gave up on that after a while. It wasn't until I became a member of Dugpa many years ago that I realized how many fans dislike so much of the series. I was surprised, and I actually stepped away from it for a while. But the soundtrack releases pulled me back in. First the second season soundtrack, and then the archive releases. For the better part of a year and a half, I poured over the series studying all of the different music tracks and combinations. This was not only a dream come true for me, but it also really renewed my love of the series. I spent countless hours on my site and the covers and mixes. I'll link that site below. Um, Ross has done some really cool uh, like album cover type things for the different songs. Very evocative and moody. Ross also comments on the missing pieces. Wow, I'd given up on ever seeing these. 22 years is a long time to wait. When the preview for the missing pieces dropped, it was chill-inducing and surreal. Images that only existed in my head were finally being seen. And while watching the scenes themselves didn't bring me that same level of surreal that the preview did, the preview had already done that, it was still an experience that can hardly be described and can't really compare to anything. For me, finally seeing all of these scenes brought a huge sense of satisfaction when it could have easily been one of disappointment. 
The film and the missing pieces complement each other so well, so I don't mind having them as two separate pieces of the whole. I only wish we could have seen these from the beginning. And then finally, Ross on the future of Twin Peaks says on twenty pit on Twin Peaks twenty sixteen, which is what at the time uh, it was scheduled for and came out later in twenty seventeen. I can't really put into words how excited I am about this. Pretty much everything Frost said in his initial interviews were things I had been hoping for for years. I had always had this small hope that something might happen in that 25 years later time period. But I was really shocked by the news. Aside from the best part, Frost and Lynch writing all and Lynch directing all, I'm hopeful for new music from Battle of Menti, Kyle M., Michael Antkeen, Heather Graham. Gabriel commented, I guess the main thing with these recollections is that I was seeing it very much in the moment back then, not knowing what would come next. It's funny that there was a time when I watched TP without thinking of it as a complete unit, including the books and Firewalk with me. Like I say, hitting middle age as I am now, having just turned 40, I'm looking back to an era when I was still at school, still had grandparents, my beloved cat would curl up with me while we were watching the show with my mom and dad. My parents are elderly now. They're still in the same house, but it looks utterly different. New furniture, new carpets, different wallpaper, new windows. My little brother is long married. I've lived nearly two lifetimes since TP finished. What will Twin Peaks as a town be like after all this time? Who will still live there? Who will have moved on? What new buildings will there be? Has the population risen, meaning the town has expanded, or has the town shrunken after the Packard sawmill burned down? Did any trashy TV show do a documentary about Laura's murder, complete with reconstruction scenes? What happened to One-Eyed Jacks? Because the show had such an impact on me, and because it's coming back, it's actually made me somewhat introspective about the whole thing. The show affected my career choice, my choice of degree at college, and this very much affected where I am now. I even got to edit the UK Horror Channel's Twin Peaks trailer a few years back. Certainly anything I've worked on on my own has influences that go back to Twin Peaks. The return of the series will bring back a lot of memories. And now that we've shifted our ground to the missing pieces, even though we're going to continue for the next few days to uh, combine coverage of the film Firewalk with me and the missing pieces, I'm going to take this moment to do our little teaser that we always do where I play the opening minute of whatever the next subject is. So in this case, let's listen to the opening minute of the missing pieces, and then I'll describe what we see. Desmond, it's 3.30. Where are we going to sleep? We're not. You and I are going to get something to eat. Yes. I didn't realize so many hours had passed. Did you, Agent Desmond? You have your own M.O., don't you, Agent Desmond? Those are sounds from the opening of The Missing Pieces. First things you see on screen during this time are Laura's portrait in the high school display case. We dissolve to the woods and then to the red room. And over this, we see the title, The Missing Pieces, which are described as deleted and extended scenes from Fire Walk With Me. Interestingly enough, Lynch front loads the fact that these are deleted scenes, even though in other contexts he has presented this as 
a legitimate part of, you know, so to speak, the Twin Peaks canon, which is not really a concept that he or Mark Frost are that interested in. But uh, to the extent that it, it exists as a thing, he, he wants these scenes apparently to be included as part of that universe. After that opening, uh, the first scene we get is this long shot of a morgue door, this wooden shed out back of the Deer Meadow Sheriff's Station. And there's just a long holding on it for a few seconds where nothing's happening. And then Chet and Sam emerge. And initially they say some lines we heard in Firewalk With Me, and then the scene keeps going. And it's just like a nice segue that I think really emphasizes the sort of excitement and anticipation. You know, I remember watching this back in... 2014 so we all kind of felt that watching this for the first time it's a very consciously assembled 20 years after the fact knowing that it's for people who've seen firewalk me who know that these are like special gems that have been hidden for a long time they're edited and put together with that knowledge it's a very unusual film project in that way that's it for this episode please rate review and subscribe on apple podcasts tune in tomorrow to hear the production context and uh, the current events for the missing pieces. So tomorrow there will be an exclusive focus on the missing pieces. I guess I misspoke a little before when I said we were going to be mixing Firewalk with me and missing pieces uh, going forward. They will continue to be mixed after that, and then I'll sort of focus in on the story of the missing pieces in a few days. But uh, for ne- for tomorrow, we'll be looking at when these deleted scenes were released in 2014, what led up to that in terms of the creation behind the scenes, and then the world that they came into, a little more briefly than usual, but we will talk about what's in the news and uh, what was in Time Magazine and all of that. So this is really a distinct error from what we'll be covering in um, the Season 3 podcast, where we're talking about the summer of 2017. Uh, So much changed between summer of 2014 and 17 that this is sort of an interesting little in-between glimpse after our look at the show in the 90s and the film in the 90s and then what's coming up. Together for the first time with Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me, the prequel feature film to the TV series depicting Laura Palmer's last days makes its North American Blu-ray debut on this thrilling set. (laughs) Created from a new 4K scan of the original negative and supervised by David Lynch, Fire Walk With Me has never looked like this before. You don't even know me. And finally, what fans have been waiting for. An hour and a half of deleted scenes and extended scenes. From Fire Walk With Me, deleted and extended scenes, directed and edited by David Lynch, the holy grail of Twin Peaks fandom. I'm hungry!